0: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome Here. in, everybody, episode 4. We. the air tour sports podcast it is thursday december 30th 2021 people i hope everybody is doing well i hope everybody is having a great day i hope everybody is ready for the final episode of 2021 of the air tour sports podcast first of all i appreciate all of your incredible support as we go out of 2021 we have actually set a downloads record for the month of december like In the month of December, we just set a downloads record, which is kind of incredible. When you think about the fact that sports have sort of slowed down a little bit, when you factor in that I only did two episodes last week, only did two episodes this week. So I appreciate your support. I want to thank you, and I want to close out 2021 in style. Today will be a pretty straightforward show, right? Uh, I was going to do some college hoops at the end, but most of the games that happened on Wednesday were pretty straightforward. Kentucky was a big favorite. They destroyed Missouri. Uh, Auburn was a favorite against LSU. They won. Seton Hall was an underdog against Providence. Providence wins. Alabama's a favorite against Tennessee. Miracle win by Alabama. Don't know that there's a ton of college hoops, so we'll focus on college football. Uh, We will get back to a normal schedule next week, but this week, this episode is going to be straightforward spend the next 10-15 minutes previewing the college football playoff, which is obviously on Friday, Alabama-Cincinnati, Michigan-Georgia. From there, we will hit on the other big college football playoff game, or the other big bowl games, excuse me, that will be taking place on Saturday. Obviously, we will have the Sugar Bowl with Lane Kiffin and Old Miss against Baylor. We will have the Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame-Oklahoma State. We will have the Rose Bowl right down the street from me in Pasadena, Utah, Ohio State. Take a quick break, do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We'll wrap, we'll get out of here, we'll celebrate a great 2021. Get ready for these playoffs and get ready for 2022. As I said, normal schedule next week, back to three episodes starting on Monday. We will recap the college football playoff games that happen on Friday. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And let's get to what the topic of the day is today on the final episode of 2021 on the Air Tour Sports Podcast, and that's that we got some college football playoff games to talk about, baby. That's right. Two games this Friday, one about 24 hours from what I'm recording right now. Alabama will play Cincinnati in the early game. Georgia will play Michigan in the late game. By the way, quick uh, side note, tangent, whatever. I'm actually hosting Fox Sports Radio during the Cincinnati-Alabama game, so for some reason you are driving around between, say, 3 and 6 Eastern time, turn on your local Fox Sports Radio affiliate, you'll hear me and Jason Martin, but with that said, let's get to these games themselves, and let's get to Alabama-Cincinnati, let's start with that game, it is the early game, Alabama is almost a two-touchdown favorite, and what I would say about this one with Alabama is what I said at the first look that we did on last episode on Monday. If the Alabama that shows up, that showed up for the SEC championship game against Georgia three weeks ago in Atlanta, shows up for this game and for the college football playoff, well, the season is done. Everybody's playing for second place. We might as well go home. We might as well give Alabama that skinny trophy right now, their second national title in two seasons. Because if that Alabama team shows up, nobody else has a shot. But as I peeled back the layers, as I spent more time thinking about it this week, I do wonder if we did get the absolute best version of Alabama in that SEC championship game for one simple reason. It was the first time in any of these players' careers that they came into a game as an underdog at Alabama. It was the first time that Nick Saban in half a decade could look his players in the eyes and say, nobody believes in you, you have no shot, it's over, prove the world wrong. Well, now everybody believes in Alabama again. I know Will Anderson early this week tried to sell that Alabama is actually the underdog in this game, is actually the Cinderella, but nobody else is is believing it. And so when I look at this game, I do not believe that that Alabama team that we saw in Atlanta for the SEC championship game, I don't believe that that is the version of Alabama that we're getting for the next two games because I don't think that they can elevate and play so well in every phase of football like they did against Georgia. And so because of it, I go back to what I said in the lead-up to the SEC championship game. In the lead up, And listen, it's not even the lead-up to the SEC championship game. It's all season long. I said this isn't a vintage Alabama team. I said this isn't one of their best squads. They're young. They're working on leadership. They're this, they're that. And by the way, that wasn't a hot take. Nick Saban said it all season long and was trying to motivate his team through the press all season long. We're not good enough. We don't practice hard enough. These guys don't have the killer instinct. Maybe they got it against Georgia, but more realistically, I think it's the team that is really, really, really good. Not saying they're not good, but I'm not saying they're last year either where they had one of the most dominant seasons in college football history and the results back it up. You go back to week three, two-point win against Florida. And we know Florida stinks. Florida fired Dan Mullen. You could argue the highlight of Dan Mullen's final season at Florida for Dan Mullen, not for Florida. Florida fans, the, the highlight of the final season of Dan Mullen was the day he got fired. But at, at the, the the highlight for Dan Mullen was playing Alabama close. Alabama only beat him by two in the swamp. Alabama lost to Texas A&M later in the year. Not saying it's a bad loss, but it, AM finished eight and m finished 8-4. and On top of that, you go through the rest of their schedule, six-point win against LSU. In the game that I mentioned the other day, they had six yards rushing total. And on top of that, the week later, they play all- Arkansas at home, they win by a touchdown there, and they close out the regular season against Auburn with a two-point win in double overtime, and so I could sit there and say, oh, Alabama, they have found their mojo, but we have a 12-week sample size that says this is a very, very good Alabama team, but this isn't vintage elite Alabama, and I do think there's a couple other factors on top of what I've already said that... You know, you also have to factor in when thinking about the Cincinnati game. First of all, Cincinnati, we're going to get to their defensive backs in a minute because I know everybody believes that they have no shot. They're not even close to as talented. Well, it's worth noting one, Cincinnati has a great defensive backfield. We'll get to them in a minute. But on top of that, Alabama's going to be out without their second most important receiver. I would argue their second most important skill position player outside of Bryce Young. We know Bryce Young's going to play. We know Jamison Williams is going to play. But John Mechie's out for this game. He got hurt late in the season. He is not available for this game. And I do think that matters. On top of that, what I would also say, and I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's a huge deal. But we can't ignore it either. The SEC has been awful in bowl season so far. Now, I'm recording here right as Tennessee's about to kick off against Purdue. uh, And so there's always the possibility that Tennessee wins 56 to nothing. And it switches the whole momentum of the SEC going into the games that matter. But I also do think it's worth noting that Auburn team that Alabama struggled with three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it was, they just lost to Houston in the Birmingham Bowl. The Mississippi State team that Alabama destroyed, I would still argue, their most complete game of the season outside of the Georgia game and the SEC championship game. Mississippi State just got destroyed by Texas Tech in their bowl game. Uh, you go on down the list, that Florida team that Alabama nearly, beat, nearly lost to. Florida lost to Central Florida to the Gasparilla Bowl. And you can't say Florida had a million opt-outs. Emory Jones played in that game. And so all of a sudden, you start peeling back the layers. And again, I'm not saying bowl games matter and they're be-all, end-all. We call them meaningless for a reason. We have opt-outs. We have transfers. We have this. We have that. But at the same time, the teams that Alabama beat in the postseason are not faring well. And so I think that's a big part of this as well. But my question that I would also say, and I think this is a fair question if you're an Alabama fan saying, Torres, you hate us, you, you haven't said anything nice about us since September. I won't deny that. And what I would also say is, while I don't know that this is a vintage Alabama team, I'm still not totally positive that this Cincinnati team is the one that's going to expose them and beat them. And maybe that team, by the way, isn't even in the playoff period, but I don't know that it's Cincinnati. First of all, look, the Cincinnati story is a great story, but we've talked about it over the last few weeks. This Cincinnati team isn't perfect. I mean, I, I would argue the Cincinnati team, it's its not close to the best group of five team that has been available to come since the playoff era started. They're the first one to get in, but they got in for a few different reasons. They got in because Clemson wasn't good enough in the ACC. The ACC didn't have a representative. The Pac-12 wasn't good enough. They didn't have a representative. Not USC, not Oregon, not UCLA, not whoever. Uh, beyond that, you also have uh, you know, the Big 12, Oklahoma State losing on the final play of the season, which cost them a shot. So it's not as though Cincinnati was so dominant and so overwhelming that there was zero doubt about putting them in this playoff. I would argue, I think last year's Cincinnati team that almost beat Georgia in the Peach Bowl was as good, as dominant, maybe even better than this year's team. And so when I look at the Cincinnati team, it's no disrespect. They deserve to be here. They are. They have a playoff-worthy resume relative to the opposition. But when I look at this team, I just don't know that they are built to beat this Alabama team because there is a distinct way to beat Alabama. We've talked about it all year. Got to get pressure on Bryce Young. Got to have great DBs. And when you look at it like that, or or, excuse me, you got to be able to pass the ball, excuse me, against Alabama's DBs. Alabama's defensive backfield is not very strong. Alabama's offensive line has not been strong all year. And you look at the Cincinnati team, and I don't know that they're necessarily built to do that. Here's the bottom line about the Cincinnati team. Great story, great team, well-coached, all that stuff. You know where Cincinnati ranks in terms of total offense? They rank 45th nationally. This isn't an explosive, super dynamic, super awesome, unstoppable offense. I mean, we've seen great offenses out of the group of five, whether it was Scott Frost's Central Florida team, whether it was Josh, some of the teams Josh Heupel had uh, at Central Florida, on and on and on down the list. This is not one of those teams. 45th nationally in total offense in terms of the passing game. They were good but not elite, 52nd nationally. And I I look at this team. You know, Desmond Ritter is a a really good college quarterback. But this isn't a first-round quarterback. This isn't the guys that we've seen in the past at some of these schools that's going to be a first-round pick or whatever. 3,100 yards pass, 3,100 yards passing, 30 touchdowns. But he's not elite. He's not a difference maker. I wouldn't say he's one of the 6-7 elite quarterbacks in college football. And so, again, why I think this game is fascinating, I do think Alabama's vulnerable. I do not know if Cincinnati's the team to expose it, though. What I would say, however, Cincinnati does do one thing defensively that I think is important, and in terms of how does this game stay close, right? Because I think that's kind of the national narrative right now. The national narrative is Alabama's going to win, Alabama's going to dominate, move on to Georgia and Michigan. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but I think you guys didn't come here to hear me say that. So I think the question then becomes, what does Cincinnati have to do to keep things competitive against Alabama? And to me, there is one very obvious thing that Cincinnati has to do. And the good news is it's something that they are very good at as a college football program. They have to force turnovers, and they have to get points off of those turnovers. If you do not turn Alabama over, and you're just going to try to go score for score with Bryce Young, the best player in college football, good luck. It ain't happening. The good news for Cincinnati, though, they force an insane amount of turnovers. That's not hyperbole. That's not. They literally led college football in total turnovers forced with 33 over the course of a 13-game season. I'm not great at math, okay? Never claimed to be, but 33 INTs over 13 games. That comes out to about two and a half, uh, two and a half, not not INTs, excuse me, 33 forced turnovers over the course of a 13-game college football season. That's two and a half turnovers forced per game, and that's what I think they have to do. You go back to that Alabama-Georgia game, Alabama was plus two in turnovers. They forced two, Georgia forced zero, and I do believe if Cincinnati wants to win this game, this is what they have to do. They have to force turnovers, and the good news for them is that it's something that, again, they do exceptionally well. Led the country in forced turnovers with 33. In terms of interceptions, they were actually third behind only Iowa and Western Kentucky for total interceptions, and they forced 15 fumbles, which was tied for most in the country, ironically, with Middle Tennessee. Shout out to Middle Tennessee. Don't know what they're doing on special teams over there. But if Cincinnati wants to win this game, this is what they have to do. And this is the one thing that I do think kind of separates them a little bit from the Georgia team that had no answers for Alabama a few weeks ago. Georgia, as dominant as their defense has been this year, they forced a total of 16 turnovers over the course of this season, which was 65th nationally and, of course, less than double. Cincinnati had more than double the turnovers force that Georgia did, and so to me, that is how Cincinnati has to keep it close, and I do think they will keep it close, and so let's get into my prediction. My official prediction is final score, Alabama 34, Cincinnati 24. I believe that Cincinnati is going to create chaos. I believe they're going to force turnovers, but in the end, I do worry about the depth, size, physicality, toughness of Alabama, and never forget Alabama now has had three weeks to get healthy coming out of that Georgia game, get healthy mentally, get healthy physically. I know they had some COVID issues with Doug, Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien, their offensive coordinator, not being at practice. But I just bring it up to very simply say, I do think in the end, Alabama's going to have too many horses. I do think, though, that Cincinnati can keep it close for most of the game, probably deep into the third quarter, maybe into the early fourth before Alabama pulls away. Final score, 34-24 Alabama. My official betting pick, I actually have Cincinnati plus seven in the first half. In other words, I think it will be under a touchdown differential going into halftime. Uh, I have it 14-10 Alabama going into halftime. Cincinnati plus seven in the first half is my official pick, is my official gambling pick, and my official bet is Alabama 34-24. Cincinnati 24. Let's switch gears and let's talk about the other big one, baby. That's right. I said it the other day. Rocking New Year's Eve, seven thirty Eastern. Harbaugh, Kirby, Smart, rocking New Year's Eve, baby. And what I'll say is, this is going to be a really, 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 really fun game. I'm really genuinely excited about this. Uh, just old school, Smash Mouth. You know, just, just. I'm not saying that I don't like you know, 45-42 final scores and the spread offenses, and I love what Lincoln Riley does, and I love what Steve Sarkeesian does, and I love what Alabama's done over the last four or five years, Lane Kiffin. I also love just lining up and trying to beat the crap out of the guy in front of you, and that's why I'm so excited about this game. Now, in terms of the game itself, I think we should start with Georgia really quickly. Georgia is a seven and a half point favorite. We'll get to kind of that point spread stuff in a minute, but I think it's very interesting because in the same way that I talked about the psyche of Alabama, Coming out of the SEC championship game a minute ago, I do think it's important to talk about the psyche of Georgia coming out of the SEC championship game a minute ago uh, or, or, or three weeks ago. And I give Georgia credit, right? We, we we love to crush Georgia, and I've been guilty of it. I've crushed Kirby Smart for years, even though I picked the dogs to win the national championship. How about my dogs? How about my dogs? But I, we we crush Kirby Smart. But what I will give him credit for is this: I thought he stayed very poised, very under control very well put together coming out of that SEC it would have been easy to sound the alarms we're terrible we got a lot of work to do we got to go back to the drawing board and maybe he did that behind the scenes maybe he yelled and screamed in the locker room maybe he yelled and screamed the last three or four weeks but publicly I thought he put together a very good public face we talk a lot about how Nick Saban uses the media to get messages across I thought Kirby Smart did an awesome job of getting the message across through the media after that SEC championship game we're going to be okay it wasn't our best day, but the great news is we're going to have another opportunity. We're going to be in this playoff, and now it's time to go to work. I believe in Stetson Bennett. I believe in my team. I believe in the guys in that locker room, and we're ready to go compete for a championship. Now, does he really believe that? I don't know. Did he? Was that the message behind the scenes? I don't know, but I love the message that he had with his team coming out of that game, and now we get to the Michigan game, and as I said, It's a very interesting dynamic because Michigan is a a 7.5-point underdog. Georgia is a a 7.5-point favorite, which means that Vegas is basically begging you to take Michigan in this game at plus 7.5, basically saying, look, Torres, you, John, Bill, Steve, Sarah, Jennifer, Michigan can lose, and Michigan can lose by a touchdown, and you still win money, take Michigan. And so usually when that happens, usually when all the money comes in on Michigan the way that it is, that's a bad sign. But I got to be honest, maybe I'm a total square. I think Michigan keeps it close here, if not wins outright. And let me explain why, right? Because I think we, we do have this, this idea that these SEC teams are so much better, so much more dominant than everybody else in college football. And if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm not one that disagrees. I mean, you look at the recruiting rankings, you look at the NFL draft. Well, here's the bottom line. The best good players play in the SEC, okay? The best good players coming out of high school go to SEC schools. The best good players coming out of college go to the NFL where the SEC dominates the NFL draft. I'm looking at the recruiting rankings this year. First three schools in the recruiting rankings, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia. If you include Texas and Oklahoma, which of course are coming to the SEC, five of the top ten schools in America recruiting-wise are SEC schools. Kentucky 11, Missouri 12, Auburn 13, Tennessee 15, LSU 18, Arkansas 19, South Carolina 20. So I'm not great at math, but that's three, four, five, six, seven, ten 10 of the top 20 classes are current SEC schools. And if you include Oklahoma and, te- and Texas, that is 12. Of- so I'm not the guy that says, oh, you know, if you don't play in the SEC, like, like the SEC is always overrated. No. I talked about their bowl stuff a minute ago, but I think it's indisputable that the best players play in the SEC. And so if you think Georgia's is just going to win because they're awesome and they're clearly better than Michigan, that's fine. But what I would tell you is when I look at this game, I don't think there's a single team that is more battle-tested coming into this college football playoff than Michigan. And I'll be honest, I don't even think it's close, okay? Let me tell you about how who Michigan has played so far this year, okay? Because one of the reasons that I think about Michigan wasn't ranked in the top 25 to start the season. Nobody picked them to win their division. And part of it was, we don't trust Harbaugh, we don't do this, we don't do that. Part of it also was their schedule was insane, okay? So on top of having Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, whoever in their division, their cross-division games included a trip to Wisconsin and a trip to Nebraska, and we could criticize Scott Frost, but you know Nebraska probably was one of the top 25 to 30 teams in college football. They just couldn't get over the hump in games that mattered. Why do I bring it up? It is because if you're telling me that Michigan won't be ready for Georgia, here are the facts. Here is who Michigan beat this year. They won at Wisconsin. They won at Nebraska. They won at Penn State. They beat Ohio State at home. And they beat Iowa on a neutral field. And so even just take the road games, right? Oh, how are they, they going to be ready? Just take the road games. Just take the road games. You tell me before the season you're playing at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, at Penn State, at Michigan State, and you go 3 and 1 in those games? Are you kidding me? That is bananas. And then on top of that, you beat Ohio State at home and you beat uh, Iowa on a neutral field. And so when I look at this game, I think Michigan's as battle-tested as anybody and the idea that, oh, they've never seen anything like Georgia up front. And I don't know if people are saying that, but I've heard enough of it to sit there and say, now, wait a second now, I love Georgia. I picked Georgia to win the national championship. But let's not act like Michigan hasn't played anybody because, oh, by the way, there was one defense all season long. That statistically was basically better than Georgia in every defensive category except for total points allowed. Better in total off, better in total defense, better in pass defense, better in run defense. It was the Wisconsin Badgers. And you know who they gave up 38 points against at home to? The Michigan Wolverines. That's right, Wisconsin, great defense, dominant defense statistically. Gave up 38 points at home to the University of Michigan. Beyond that, the Iowa team that Michigan just beat in the Big Ten Championship game, Iowa had a top 15 defense coming, into, coming out of the season, not coming into the season, coming out of the season, top 15 defense nationally. Michigan just put up 42 on them. Penn State, top 30 defense nationally, 33 actually overall, so top 35 defense. Michigan moved the ball on them. Michigan beat them in Happy Valley. Michigan beat Ohio State, which had probably a top 35 defense until Michigan ran the ball all over them. So I believe Michigan will be able to move the ball. Is it enough to win this game? It remains to be seen, but I don't see this being like a 7-3 final score in Miami. On the other side, I think what's really interesting is the Georgia perspective. Listen, everybody knows coming out of that SEC championship game where I stood on Georgia, picked Georgia to win the title, but I said all along, I said during the year, I said, I don't know if you can win a national championship with Stetson Bennett, and now you look at a team that is just as physical, just as tough as Georgia along the both defensive and offensive lines, Stetson Bennett's going to have to make some plays, and that's why I would be worried about this game, because in the same way that Michigan has played maybe not exactly comparable competition to what they're going to see from Georgia, I'm not saying Iowa is better than Georgia, but they're no schlub either. I'm not saying Penn State is better than, they're no schlub either. And so I bring all that up to say, Georgia has really only played two elite defenses all year. And it hasn't been pretty for this offense. Georgia played Clemson on night one of the season. Clemson, statistically, is one of the best defenses in college football. I'm looking at it right now. Clemson finished the season, and of course they just just won their bowl game. But they finished... The season, seventh nationally in total defense, and they actually finished, believe it or not, second in points allowed behind only Georgia. So the two teams in the regular season that finished with the fewest points allowed actually played on opening night, Clemson and Georgia. But never forget, Clemson, yes, Georgia did beat Clemson, but remember what that final score was? It was 10-3 to Georgia, and Georgia's only touchdown came out of pick six. So in the best defense that they faced so far, Georgia scored zero offensive touchdowns. They won 10-7, 10-3, excuse me, zero offensive touchdown. Oh, by the way, they play Alabama a few weeks ago, 17 points until late in the game. And so when I look at this team, when I look at this matchup, and I could be completely wrong, some of you guys are gonna listen on Saturday, Sunday, maybe even Monday, and some of you are gonna be shaking your head saying, Torres, Torres really liked Michigan. What was he thinking? But as I come into this game and I come out of this game, I'll be real with you guys. I really like Michigan in this game. And maybe I'm a total square because Vegas wants you to take Michigan. Take Michigan plus seven and a half. And it is worth noting one of Michigan's best defensive players, Dax Hill, is not currently with the team. It seems like a COVID issue, uh, but Jim Harbaugh has not ruled him out of the game yet. Now, that may be gamesmanship on Jim Harbaugh's part, but I only bring it up to simply say uh, Michigan is going to be without one of their key defensive players. Um, But I don't know that Stetson Bennett and that offense is the guy that you necessarily have to worry about in this case, and so when I look at this game, I told you, I think Alabama-Cincinnati, final score 34-24, and I look at this game, I'm taking Michigan to pull the upset over my dogs. How about my dogs? They might be, uh, you know, uh, run over by a car called the Michigan Express. Uh, I do like Michigan in this game. Final score 30-17. to I think they'll be able to move the ball a little bit better than expected. I think they'll be able to score a little bit more than expected. I have Michigan beating Georgia 30-17. to Those are my two official college football playoff picks. Alabama 34, Cincinnati 24, Michigan 30, Georgia 17. Really quickly, let's get to some of the other big bowl games. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about them um, because, look, I, we all watch them, we all enjoy them, but it's hard to really, you know, come down with a, a firm prediction on some of these games because we know about the opt-outs we know about this so let's start with probably the biggest game outside of the two college football playoff games it will come on saturday january 1st about 5 p.m eastern uh whatever it is two o'clock pacific time actually being played just down the road from where i live i would normally go but won't be able to attend this one because i'll be hosting radio on saturday night and it's the rose bowl Ohio State versus Utah, and what's been really interesting is, over the last couple days, the point spread in terms of the betting line has drastically fallen, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. When I first looked at this line, it was on Monday. Now, granted, it was on Monday, and it was before there was a bunch of opt-outs in these bowl, uh, for Ohio State, but Ohio State was a six-and-a-half-point favorite. It is down to four points, and I think there's some good reasons why. And there's frankly a lot of reasons why I think Utah wins this game outright. Uh, First of all, I don't think this is one of those games that Ohio State doesn't want to be there for, okay? I do think there were some opt-outs, but what I think is important to note is I think the guys that are on the field want to play. And this is one of the dumb things that I hate about the narrative of opt-outs and meaningless bowl games and nobody cares and blah, 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 and this and that. You think, yes, Ohio State, their two best wide receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, have opted out of this game. But you don't think that the guys behind them are fired up to step on the field and play for Ohio State for the first time, Uh, you know, first meaningful snaps at wide receiver? You think that the next group of five stars isn't ready to show Buckeye Nation exactly what they're capable of? You think C.J. Stroud, who's from Southern California, isn't excited to return to Southern California and play in this game? Because I bet he is. And so when I look at this game, I don't think it's a Buckeye, Ohio State isn't ready to play kind of thing. I think it's instead a a different narrative, which is I just think Utah's a really bad matchup for them. I think Utah, first of all, Utah fans are excited to be there. They sold out of their ticket allotment and had to get more. I think it's about 35,000 Utah fans are expected at this game. But then beyond that, it's also worth noting from Utah's perspective, this matchup just works out really well for them. We watched Ohio State lose to Michigan. What did Michigan do? Michigan ran the ball right at them, okay? Michigan ran the ball right at them. Well, guess what Utah does about as well as anybody? They run the football right at people. Final six games of the season, Utah rushed for over 200 yards in four of their final six games. One of the games in which they didn't break the 200-yard mark was against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, only got 191. And on the season, they had the number 13-ranked rush offense in college football. That's actually just slightly behind Michigan um, in terms of their ability to run the football. And so if Michigan had a ton of success running against that Ohio State front, I kind of think Utah will too. And because of it, I do have Utah winning that game. Utah is one of my best bets. All my picks, by the way, are available at AaronTorresOnline.com, but I do like like Utah in that game to beat Ohio State. Really quickly, listen, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the Fiesta Bowl. Um, You know, I think the Fiesta Bowl is interesting. Obviously, Marcus Freeman will be the new Notre Dame head coach, first game as a head coach there. And I'm just excited to see him play. I also think it's worth noting, I talk, or I'm i excited to see Notre Dame play under Marcus Freeman. I also think it's worth noting, I just talked about Oklahoma State, or I just talked about Ohio State, how much their defense struggled. Well, guess what? Ohio State's defensive coordinator, that hired a new defensive coordinator, it's Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. And so when I look at this game, I just don't know what to expect from either side. I'm not even going to make a pick. Uh, Notre Dame under a first-time, first-year head coach, Marcus Freeman, his first game as Notre Dame head coach, Oklahoma State's. Defensive coordinator. This team was led by their defense. Their defensive coordinator is out for this one, uh, as he gets ready to go for Ohio State. So I'm not ready. And then finally, Sugar Bowl. I think it's just going to be a really fun way to cap New Year's Day on Saturday. Sugar Bowl will be Ole Miss versus Baylor. Uh, I probably like I probably like Ole Miss, but what I would say is I think defenses prevail here. Baylor is really good defensively. Ole Miss all year long. I don't think we appreciate how good that defense was. So I'll say something like Ole Miss 34-24. I do think Ole Miss gets the win. Actually, I take that back. I'll say 31-21. How about that as, as a as a final in that game? Ole Miss gets the win. Uh, but, yeah, those are my college football playoff picks. And, uh, yeah, that's all I really got for college football. I got Alabama 34-24. I got Michigan 30-17. And I cannot wait for these games. So what do I do? Take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk a little where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We'll be right back, party people. All right, everybody, I'm back. We're going to get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong in a minute. But before we do, I do want to welcome back our partners and our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings has been amazing to us all fall long. They're going to be amazing to us into 2022. But right now, what I want to tell you about is an incredible offer for bowl season that DraftKings is offering listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You're not going to believe it. It's so good. This is what you got to do. You bet $5 on any money line. So all you gotta do is pick a winner and a loser. You like Bama to beat Cincinnati, bet $5 on Bama, and guess what happens? You get $200 in free bets if that team wins their bowl game. Any bowl left on the schedule, bet $5 if the team you pick wins. You win $200 in free bets. Here's how you take advantage of the offer. First of all, click the link in the show description, okay? You listen on Apple, there's a link. You listen on Spotify, there's a link. Click that link, and sign up for a new DraftKings Sportsbook account and make your first deposit. It does have to be a new account. It does have to be your first deposit. Make a $5 bet on any team, and if your team wins, you get $200 automatically in free cash thanks to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It is the best sports betting offer going, only for listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to take advantage now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1 800 next step in Arizona or call or text Tennessee Redline 1 800 889 9789 again in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter. 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners at DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, incredible deal. Link is in the show description. Bet $5 on any bowl game. Any bowl game. And if that team wins, you get $200 in free cash if you're a first-time user. Not telling you how to bet. But you bet 5 bucks on Bama. Get $200 in free cash if Bama wins tomorrow. Link is in the show description. First-time users, and you know what states you have to be in to take advantage of that offer. With that said, though, it's time to get to America's favorite segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And by now, you know the concept of the segment. Stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd, but the idea is pretty simple. This show is obviously a very opinion-based show. I throw out a lot of opinions over the course of three episodes a week, you know, four months a year, four, mo- four weeks a year, 12 months a year, whatever. I throw out a lot of opinions over the course of a calendar year. And I get a lot of them right. And when I get them right, nobody loves to brag and boast and say how great he is, then your boy Torres. But guess what, Torres? Slap on the wrist. You also get a lot of stuff wrong too. Shame on you. You suck. So this is a fun way to kind of keep myself in check. Yeah, I get to brag and pat myself on the back when I do stuff right. But of course, when I get stuff wrong, I look like a fool as well. And I get to make fun of myself a little bit. You guys love it. So here it is, the final edition in 2021 where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. Remember last Monday's show? Remember what I led the show with on Monday? Oh, how the NFL killed the NBA on Christmas Day, and if the NFL wants to take over Christmas Day, uh, just walk right in and steal it from the NBA. There's nothing the NBA can do about it. Was I right? Was I wrong? Well, we got the ratings. How about this? Packers-Browns did 29 million viewers on Christmas Day, okay? For some comparison. Game six of the NBA Finals did like 17 million. So Green Bay versus Bre- Cleveland on Christmas Day did about a 33% bigger audience. 33% more people tuned in than the biggest game of the NBA season. Also, Cardinals-Colts on NFL Network was the second highest rated game in the history of NFL Network with close to 13 million viewers. For comparison's sake, the best NBA game did about 5 million viewers on Christmas Day. And so I don't know what the NFL is going to do. I don't know if they're going to say screw the NBA. And it's really funny. We were talking about on Fox Sports Radio. In general, the NFL has tried to acquiesce to other sports. They don't play on Fridays as a respect to high school football. They don't play on Saturdays as a respect to college football until college football is done. And generally, they have not played on Christmas Day as respect to, to, to the NBA. But I do think with the way the two sports have been covered, I do think with the way that the NFL seems to be coming for blood for everything... I don't think they're slowing down. I think we get a full Christmas Day slate next year on Christmas Day, which is on a Sunday, and I fully expect the following year when Christmas Day falls on a Monday for the NFL to just say, you know what, NBA, you had a good 30-year run, we're taking over. Cleveland Browns, Green Bay Packers, 30 million viewers almost. It was like 28-9 or something like that. Almost 13 million for Colts Cardinals. That was more than double the best NBA game where Aaron was right. The NFL is coming for Christmas Day and the NBA can't do anything about it, where Aaron was wrong. Well, I kind of already talked about this one in this show, but uh, remember that four, five, six-week stretch where I said, yeah, this isn't a vintage Alabama team. Yeah, they're limited. Yeah, they're this. Yeah, they're that. Uh, yeah, they destroyed Georgia in the, uh, in the SEC championship game, and they are coming for blood in this college football club. Now, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be competitive. But I said for six, seven weeks, this is not a vintage team. They're not winning the championship. Well, guess what? They're one game away from Cincinnati against Cincinnati from playing for a national championship and two wins away from potentially winning another national championship in a season in which I said, oh, yeah, they're down. Oh, yeah, they're no good. Oh, yeah, they stink. Shame on you, Taurus. Never doubt Nick Saban. Saban's awesome. Alabama's awesome. They are once again in the playoffs. Seventh time in eight years of the college football playoff. Alabama is here, and they are obviously the overwhelming favorite to win it based on the path that they will have where Aaron was right, I don't know if I've talked about it this year, but I hate the term meaningless bowl games, okay? They're not meaningless because people watch, they're not meaningless because people attend, and they're not meaningless because the players who play in the games want to be there. Yes, we have some opt-outs, but I just talked about it with Ohio State a minute ago. You think, yes, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson opted out, but guess what that means? The five stars that were behind them are fired up to play in these games, and we have seen it throughout bowl season, right? South Carolina just finished against North Carolina, as I'm recording here, in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. South Carolina actually had more opt-outs than North Carolina, but the guys that were there were fired up to play. So the players that are there want to be there. The fans are clearly watching, and this is why Aaron was right. Everyone tells me they're meaningless. Did you see this stat? The first weekend in bowl games which it's not, we're not talking about the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl here. The first weekend in bowl games, which was like the the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, the Bahamas Bowl, and the Independence Bowl was up 39% in terms of ratings. And I know I'm talking way too many ratings here, but I'm saying it because 39% up from 2019. And it's also worth noting, I noticed this as well. A couple weeks ago, uh, Saturday night, that is normally a time slot for the NBA. ABC put in a quote-unquote meaningless bowl game instead. Two Wednesdays ago, time slot that normally goes to the NBA, ESPN put in the Armed Forces Bowl, Missouri and Army. The reason I'm bringing it up, ESPN doesn't do do this stuff for goodwill. They do it because it rates well. They do it because people are going to watch. And they do it because people care. So the ratings for these games were up 39% in the first weekend. BYU, UAB, did 3.2 million viewers for the Independence Bowl. Are you kidding me? People love college football. These are not meaningless. Stop calling them meaningless bowl games where Aaron was right. Where Aaron was wrong this is a tough one. Let's go back to Christmas Day. Baker Mayfield. Um, I was a huge Baker Mayfield guy coming out of college. I just loved everything about the story. I loved everything about he was a walk-on, he was this, he was that, he overcame that. And this guy, with his killer instinct, it's going to work in the NFL. Well, fast forward to Christmas Day, when 29 million people watched Cleveland Green Bay. It's very clear that Baker Mayfield's just not the guy, and he's not going to be the guy in Cleveland. And I understand he's dealing with injuries, and I understand he's this, and I understand he's that. But I thought that Saturday against Green Bay, it was the death of the idea of Baker Mayfield ever being the guy on a great NFL team, okay? And I said it on my Fox Sports radio show, but every other, there's always been an excuse built in for Baker. First it was Hugh Jackson. Then it was Freddie Kitchens. Then Odell was the problem. Well, guess what? I know he's dealing with injuries, but we saw it on, th- on Christmas Day. Four interceptions, maybe one, maybe two was on the refs, but at the end of the day, the Browns have a roster that's built to win a Super Bowl. Nick Chubb is a stud. Miles Garrett's one of the best defensive players in the league. The corners are great with Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. Every other piece is there. David Njoku's awesome at tight end. Uh, Jarvis Landry's awesome at wide receiver. Every other piece is there to win a Super Bowl except the quarterback. I was a huge Baker Mayfield guy. I am officially out on Baker. I just don't think he's good enough to get the job done. Where Aaron was right. Remember when Kentucky basketball played Notre Dame, and they lost to Notre Dame a few weeks ago, and everybody said, oh, the offense, this, this stinks, that's, and I said, look, Kentucky has one big problem, and here's what that problem is. The big problem for Kentucky basketball is they played nobody for five weeks, and then they went and played a true road game against Notre Dame and they lost by four in a game where they just played terrible. I said, let's give it a few weeks. Let's see what happens. I trust that this team is different from last year. Well, since that Notre Dame game, 29-point win over North Carolina in Vegas, 35-point win over Western Kentucky, in which Rick Rick Stansberry said that that is the best team in college basketball, or they were today. Nobody would have beaten them. Oscar Shebae, just a cool 28 rebounds, and a win over Missouri that was by 27 points. The Revenge Tour is here, people. I told you. I said, give it a game after Notre Dame to see what this team is about. I believe this team is really good. I believe they're frankly good enough to win a national championship. I tweeted about it on Wednesday after the Missouri game. I said, I do think this team might be the first Calipari team that I can remember that is actually a little bit underrated going into January. As I said, the Revenge Tour is here. Revenge Tour tees are available at Aaron Torres Online under merchandise. You better get them because the Revenge Tour is officially underway. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. Another one that I'm a little bummed out about. It's our old buddy Urban Meyer. As I record here at three o'clock Eastern time on Thursday, there's only been one NFL head coach that's been fired so far, and it's our old buddy Urban Meyer. And, you know, it's where Aaron was right and where Aaron was wrong, really both, because, yes, I did think Urban Meyer would work, but I think we all kind of had the same idea. How is he going to be able to handle a situation that he cannot control every element, every piece, every this, every that? Because that's what it is when you're in college football the media's got to answer to you if you don't like the media questioning you throw them out you pull their press credential player you don't player doesn't respond to you you throw them out of the program you bench them you whatever you take away a scholarship assistant coach doesn't work you fire urban meyer any great college coach can control everything the nfl is different grown men getting paid in some cases more than you they're not going to listen to you they're not going to deal with all your nonsense you have to kind of have that balance almost like a Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, where yes, you're the authority, yes, you're in charge, but there is a mutual respect. And I don't know if Urban Meyer respects anybody. So Urban Meyer was fired. I thought it was going to work. I was really excited to see how Urban Meyer did as an NFL head coach. But unfortunately, Urban Meyer is gone. And uh, yeah, I whiffed on that one. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I think that's it for this year of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And as we get out of here, I just want to say one more time, and I've said it a few times over the last couple months, but thank you guys and girls for your support. Um, I I know I've said it, but earlier this year, I decided to leave Kentucky Sports Radio, which is one of the great media companies on the planet in the U.S., certainly covering college sports. And I didn't know what my future – I mean, I knew what my future held – but I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know if I was making a mistake. KSR was incredible to me. I'm grateful for them forever. But as I stepped away, I started to wonder, was this the right decision? Are people going to follow me? Do people really care what I have to say about sports? And it turns out that you guys do. As I said, we set a record number of downloads, period, ever in this month of December, which is kind of incredible when you factor in that, oh, by the way, um, you know that, that we've done fewer episodes this week. So I want to thank you guys and girls for all your support. And I want to tell you this. We're back to three episodes a week next next week, baby. We're so fired up. We're so ready to get going. We're going to close out college football in style. We're going to have a lot of fun with college basketball. we got great guests coming up. 2022 is going to be incredible, not only for this podcast, but for everything we do at AT Media. Make sure that you're subscribed to this show, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to the show. Make sure you rate and review the show. Make sure you're checking Aaron Torres online. That's where all my writing is. We've got some great, talented young writers. I'll bring some of them onto this show in the coming weeks. Zach Kroll, great young uh, uh, college hoops writer. Uh, Austin Montgomery does some great uh, gambling stuff. So we're going to have some fun, and this show is going to keep rocking, and I cannot thank you all enough for your support. With that said, it's time to get out of here. I want to thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, uh, and have a great New Year. Have a great new year, and we will speak in 2022. Shout out to, who is it? Shout out to Torrent Craig. I almost forgot about Torrent Craig. How can I forget about Torrent Craig? Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to Rocket New Year's Eve with Harbaugh and Kirby. We will be back on Monday, and we'll be talking about the college football playoff. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Plus.